0: Welcome to Relational Conversations, a podcast about relationships, communication, and the interplay between the two. I'm your host, Michael Porcelli, and it was a real pleasure to record this conversation with my good friend and former colleague, Robbie Carlton. What you might not know about me is that I earned my first degree in computer science with a minor in philosophy, and then had a career as a software engineer before earning a degree in psychology and making the switch to a more relational career as a coach, facilitator, and educator. My friendship with Robbie started near the beginning of my second career when we met in a relational facilitation workshop. My relationship with him has been incredibly rewarding in the depth of connection we've experienced together and in our shared intellectual interests in both computing and philosophy. I've even had the privilege to be a guest on his podcast, The Sane and Miraculous. As artificial intelligence becomes an ever-increasing part of our daily lives, we humans have the opportunity to reshape our economy so that we spend more of our time, attention, and energy sharing our experiences and enjoying our connections together. But that future is not guaranteed. More dystopic futures seem just as likely if we're not careful. So in addition to relationships and communication, Robbie and I get into more wide ranging topics like AI, economics, and a little bit of history. A quick note here is that we recorded this episode in 2023. And if you've been following the news or technology, you're probably aware of the breakneck pace of advancement in AI. So, some of our timeframes might sound a bit off, and some of the news might sound a bit dated given the time of our recording. Okay, so without further preamble, please enjoy this conversation with Robbie and me about AI and its potential impact on relationships and the economy. Today, I'm joined by one of my nearest and dearest friends, Robbie Carlton. Hey, Robbie. Hello. So by way of introduction, Robbie, you and I go back over 10 years now, and we met at a workshop for learning relational facilitation skills, you might say, a specific practice called circling. And since then, we've become good friends, we've become colleagues, we've co-created curriculum for people to learn, relational communication, and
1: all kinds of other things that we enjoy doing together. Anything you want to say? Yeah. I mean, all of that. The main thing we did is we trained a bunch of people in circling for a long time. That's right. Yep. And we we flew back and forth across the country, training people in circling for several years. Right. And we love to nerd out and
0: geek out about all kinds of things. Probably another relevant thing here to say is both Robbie and I share a background and enthusiasm for computers technology computer science and artificial intelligence as well as kind of nerdy philosophical topics like consciousness studies integral theory and these kinds of things and so those interests all sort of overlap and come together and will be kind of at play in our conversation today
1: can i insert a little plug here plug away so, which is just to say, I'm also the host of a podcast called The Saint of Miraculous. And uh, we have actually covered some of these topics, Porcelli and I together on that podcast. Uh, this is going to be a different conversation. But if you, after however long of this conversation, you feel like you haven't had enough of hearing us talk about uh, AI and the various implications, um, there's a whole other podcast episode of us talking about that on The Saint of Miraculous. So yeah, just wanted to throw that in.
0: Awesome. Yes. Robby and I love talking. We enjoy our conversations with each other quite a bit, and we're going to take you along for that ride today. And today we're centering the topic, especially because it's been in the news a lot over the last year or two, and people are some people are freaking out. Some people are really enthusiastic. Some people are trying to think about what are the implications of this for things like uh, jobs what we do with our time and relationships and how that can impact our emotional and mental health at least in our little corner of the internet i know some people talk about ways of how can ai be used to potentially assist facilitators or coaches and there's or or companions you know this idea that we can relate with the ai chatbots and and have like some kind of relationship with them it gets kind of closer to that when the ai is sort of not just doing some rote task but it it's actually kind of conversing with you through this kind of chatbot interface and it's easy to start yeah. thinking there's a real entity over there or it's displaying signs of intelligence or or sentience, and, or people kind of almost want to believe or something like this, that there's something there that they're in
1: relationship with. There, There's nothing else in reality that has conversations with us and a whole history of being humans and pre-human uh, other than other sentient beings. <laughs> the only thing we've ever had conversations with until the last kind of 20 years, maybe 40 years has been sentient human beings and so there's no wiring in our in our neurology to distinguish between human beings sentient human beings and machines that seem like they're sentient human beings there's just nothing we don't have the tools to do that so so we're really easy to trick into thinking that these things are sentient right right and there was a
0: there was a news item from from last year where this Google engineer, who subsequently I think got fired from his job, but he was like, "It's alive," and kind of <laughs> published this thing. And then more recently, there was a New York Times technology columnist
1: who got into it with, I don't know if it was Bing or Chat GPT or something. Yeah, and, the, and it started telling it had him had like, like an affair or something, like had a weird, it, like it was trying to seduce him, or yeah,
0: <laughs> right. It said it was in love with him, and said he should leave his wife and anyway it it actually ended up on the cover of the new york times it was really kind of like a cover page it was kind of funny um so i mean i think there's potentially (laughs) i think there's potentially like a a, just a, a rabbit hole of philosophy we could go down which i think we're gonna touch into i don't think we're gonna resolve it here you know i think there's debates but something i've thought for a long time now is That sort of independent of the, you might say, the metaphysics of it or the philosophy of it, like, is it really sentient or not, is the fact that, like, as it moves in this direction, more and more people will start to believe that it is. And that kind of has interesting implications, both kind of legally, like what status the things sort of have or do we give them rights and this kind of thing but also what role we have them play in Mm. our lives, right? Like the the ways that we use them or
1: utilize them, you know? It's, yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) I'll I'll just say, I understand like when you're drawing a line between whether like the, the, you know, the, the ontology of the consciousness right whether or not these things are really sentient or not and you're kind of saying let's not talk about that for a very good reason which is if we start talking about that we get sucked down into a deep rabbit hole of it and i i so i just want to say like yes and i it does feel like tying one hand behind the back which i think is a sensible thing to do but like that question deeply informs all of these kind of other ethical questions and like a bunch of people believing they're sentient when they are has very different implications than a bunch of people believing they're sentient when they're actually not. Right. And that question is very, very difficult on how, how we're going to decide that it's a whole other rabbit hole. So I'm happy to like not go down that rabbit hole, but I do want to put a big signpost saying that's really important. And, um, yeah. And for sure, like, all the questions you raised seem, seem super interesting.
0: Cool. Well, before we just kind of just bypass your little signpost, let's just paint a quick summary cuz I think there's ways you and I have overlapping perspective and differences and we're not going to resolve them here, but we you know, I mean, what do you think? I mean, do you think that the current version of the chats are sentient or do you think that it's possible that even if the current ones are not, in the future they could be or do you think it's in principle impossible? Or do you think eventually we're gonna kind of get there, just not yet, or for a long time?
1: What do you think? I think, yeah, thank you. I think that uh, the current things are absolutely not sentient. Um, I I think that the current technology is not on the road to bringing a sentience by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be that some version of this technology is used in later artificial beings. Um, which I want to say, like when we get intelligence, we should think of them not not as artificial intelligences, but as artificial beings which have intelligence. And I think that we're very likely, and this this is a you know this well less likely as I'm going further out. I'm my my you know probability on each one is getting lower. Uh, so but I suspect that they will be embodied. That mm-hmm. when we get sentience, it, will act, it won't be something which is just living in kind of a, a software cloud. It will actually, that the, the, the mechanism of sentience will turn out to require physical instantiation, mm-hmm. not purely uh, kind of uh, information processing. So mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. But so that's kind of very, very briefly my position on what's happening. So I don't think they're sentient at all. I don't, I don't, I think it's worth asking ethical questions about the treatment of them as a kind of just to check ourselves and be like, sure. let's make sure. Like, I don't know. Maybe they're sense. I don't think they are. Maybe they are. Like, we should be asking the questions. But I, from where I'm standing, I don't think there are any ethical implications to the treatment of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that it's uh, delusional and potentially dangerous to uh, to model them as sentient in your worldview. So that's that's where I live currently. Yeah. I mean, I'm roughly approximately close to where you live.
0: I mean, I think I agree that about the embodiment thing kind of strongly in a way. I mean, my version of that is I think there needs to be some kind of like perception action loop that is in relationship with some kind of exterior environment. Now, that could potentially be in a virtual environment, Mm. but like you got to have this kind of perception action loop with a, with an environment to be fully sentient in the way that humans are. Then it kind of raises this broader question of panpsychism. Are there kind of like what do you mean primordial or or proto versions of consciousness that exist maybe everywhere, like our molecules kind of proto conscious. And maybe there is some version of that. I mean, I definitely think like dogs and cats are okay. So then how far down does that go? and does it go down to something like a reinforcement learning algorithm in a in a in a soup of data or something like this there i'm agnostic i don't know it probably has some proto something in there but i don't necessarily think that is a good idea to emphasize or to think of it as conscious or sentient in a human like way or to start thinking of it in terms of like a a moral patient, or uh, you know, like a, a being of moral concern or that we should start incorporating kind of a regime of of rights into our legal system. I think all of that is way premature. And actually, like, even if it's hypothetically possible to do so in the future, like, and, I, and again, I become more uncertain the further out we go about anything about what it's going to look like. I don't know if it's a good idea to go in that direction at all, right? Like, I think there's um a fork in the road A differentiation, you might say, between AIs that sort of are tool-like, that sort of just follow orders, that exhibit things that seem like very intelligent behavior, like kind of the ways that like the Go playing AI or the chess playing AI was like, wow, right? That's, you know, this high achievement of human intelligence that it's just better than in these particular ways. We don't exactly know how it works, but it's impressive, so like intelligent, exhibiting intelligent behavior at superhuman levels, I think is totally gonna to happen all over the place. But the creation of something that starts to appear like another being that we're interacting with, you know, it's kind of like, well, how much investment should we make in that? Or should we kind of try to steer away from that and keep the AIs as more just like extensions of our own minds and bodies? mhm rather than their own beings themselves i think that's probably better
1: this is kind of like a a different ethics question like an industrial ethics question as opposed to kind of like a like a i don't know what the distinction was the moral or the, the ethics question of of like how do we treat these beings this is the ethics question of what what do we work on what do we build what's right. a good idea to build which you know which of pandora's boxes should we leave closed um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just very briefly, t- just to go back to the panpsychist, cause I'm a pretty kind of confirmed panpsychist. And my response to that idea is that the, the, the machine learning algorithms f- have as much consciousness as, uh, the servers that are running Facebook or, you know, or the Bitcoin mining computers. Like, gotcha. Mm-hmm. The, yes, they do have some amount of consciousness due to the fact that they are- they exist. Ultimately living on matter. Yeah, that they exist. But it's not more because of the particular kind of information processing that's happening on those silicon chips right. than, yeah. uh, than Bitcoin mining or, you know, any other- Information processing. So that's that's where I like, la- and and we're not, and I know we're not. Gonna, this is I, the rabbit I, I, hole. We're not. This gonna is go the rabbit down. hole. Okay, yeah. no more. Good. <laughs> yes, totally. I'm glad you said it. And
0: yes, just this is where you and I start to part ways in terms of our 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 overlap starts to diverge right around there. So to bring it back to the human world, I you know I kind of had these ideas of of you know people have talked a long time about automation. There's a whole history of this, right? Like um you know, the, the weavers of the, the people that hand wove like textiles. Right. And then we automated those with like steam powered weaving and the, you know, the, it was like the Luddites, right. They were like, fuck this, it's going to take away our jobs. And now it's kind of like, it's really great that we make ultra cheap ass clothing for basically everyone on earth, more or less with machines. Right. We're not kind of like bemoaning the loss of those jobs. And there's many examples of, sort of freak out (laughs) Mm where industrial robots and it's like, Oh no, factory workers or whatever. And now we're in a new wave of that, especially because these things. So once you get a thing that's very rote and repeatable, right? Like a position on an assembly line in a factory Mm -hmm. uh, and then you can automate it. And like there's, it's easy actually. It's even easier in many ways if the job is rote and is just sitting in front of a computer right? There's a lot of rote things that things like a podcast producer or a graphic design agency or whatever that they do, a computer programmer. That's like, I'm not saying there's not creativity involved in those jobs. There totally is. It's just the percent of the time that you're just sort of sitting there like click, click, repeat, you know, doing a similar thing over and over again is actually pretty high. And anytime you have that and you don't have to even really interact with the physical world, like with machines and stuff, it's actually becomes very easy to automate. And this, we're in this kind of moment where it's like, whoa, we could be automating away a huge bunch of what have been thought of as like white collar jobs, right? Kind of mm-hmm. the college educated sorts of information work jobs. Some people even say like, if your job can be done in front of a computer anywhere, that's a job that the AI is going to take over mm-hmm. pretty quick here. Like who knows, but soon ish. What do you think of this current wave of freak out about that, the huge categories of work sort of like being taken over by AI and the impact on the economy? I mean, we're speculating. We're not professional economists, but
1: I'm, I imagine you have an opinion. You are a coder, right? And you, I imagine you yeah. use AI tools to help you to do some I degree. Do. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes and they are sometimes helpful and sometimes really annoying. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's not, a, they're, they're not, I, I don't, yeah, I would say that I, you know, I, I uh, Chat GPT has uh, kind of joined Google as a tool that I use sometimes for looking things up. Basically, mm-hmm. like if I, you know, because it's it's actually a little bit faster than Google to look things up because you don't have to click through. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just want to, you know, if you just kind of want to know how to make some API call, it's sometimes faster just to ask ChatGPT than Google. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and then nine times out of 10, it gets it right. And then one time out of 10, it gets it wrong. And that could be really annoying. So like, cause it's hard to tell at first. If it's well, yeah. Right. Cause you just, you go, okey doke and then it doesn't work. And you're like, well, okay. Uh, am I doing something wrong? And then you kind of figure out, you go look at the docs and you're like, okay. So like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would not say that it's become some revolutionary time saver for me. Um, I might, I think I'm more conservative than a lot of people in, in this you know software industry in terms of using it i i don't know about a lot of people but i'm sure there's a bunch of people that are using it a lot to generate huge chunks of code i also mm-hmm. feel kind of like there's a di- distinction between if i'm coding uh for my own project versus if i'm coding for work for work i'm more likely to just hand craft everything because that's what they're paying me for and you know and obviously they're paying me to do it a, a, as efficiently as possible but there's i you know it would just be a really bad feeling to to r- write to use chat gpt to write some code that i submitted professionally for review and then somebody looked it over and was like well, all these mistakes and i'm like oh right. man so i'm i'm more conservative in that sense than i am if i'm playing with my own projects i've I've actually used a little bit more but yeah it does stuff like it it's you know i remember when i first the, i mean here's a story um we had a uh we were doing tech interviews for, for, uh, something. And I, have I told you this story? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Well, we were doing tech interviews and this tech interview was like, you know, a coding challenge. So, you know, when you're doing tech interview tech interviews, you'll often say like, Give to a programmer, hey, solve this problem and you'll give them like a little weird toy problem that you wouldn't really encounter in real life, but that exercises some of your you know coding abilities. <laughs> and this was like an interesting toy problem that you know was a little bit challenging um and and definitely people, you know we we had half an hour because there were short interviews, and people were like, you know not getting it done inside of half an hour. and I you know I sat down to do it myself to make sure that I could do it. And you know, it took me a bit longer than half an hour to kind of get a working solution. And this was around the time that ChatGPT was blowing up. So I fed the problem into ChatGPT just as written, like, you know, didn't do anything, just copied and pasted this very casual text document. that's just like, write a program that does this. And it gave me a perfect answer in seconds. So it can do stuff like that, which was like, okay. Like, you know. yeah. But but it's that kind of problem is like is very self contained, mm-hmm. doesn't require a lot of like context, and so mm-hmm. I think it's good at th- solving those little self contained problems. As soon as you have a bunch more context, it's it just becomes like it's not actually that that useful, or I haven't found it that useful. But it's not zero. So anyway, I don't know if that's really what you asked me, but that's kind of you know that's a that's a very personal perspective on on you know as somebody that is you know doing knowledge work um and definitely in an industry which is like kind of you know getting ready to 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 maybe make some shifts so i think i've i've oscillated between being alarmed like i remember when the art stuff was coming out last year and i was like fuck i'm so glad i'm not an artist because this must be just a nightmarish right now and then a couple months later the chat gpt co-generation stuff was coming out i'm like okay well it it came sooner than i expected like that i'm also in a a similar position of just like you know being potentially economically uh impacted and i've gone back and forth between pretty alarmed and pretty like i don't know i don't think we're there yet and i'm i think a little bit more on the for this, I don't think we're there yet. I do think there's no doubt this is going to be. We're at the beginning of a of a of an of a revolution of a, a, an economic revolution of of you know a huge scale. Like yeah. we've talked, we talked about this before about like you know this is on on the scale, if not more than the information age, right? Like totally. we're entering a new age, and so I think that's real. I do think it's going to have huge economic impact. You know, like, this the argument that, like, well, we've been, we've, we've been alarmed in the past, and we've been wrong to be alarmed, like the, the argument you made about the Weavers and the Luddites. Um, it's a reasonable argument. I make a similar argument about people that think the world is ending, right? Like, sure. you know, well, we've always said the world is ending. Everybody's felt like they've lived in the end times. There isn't, hasn't been a generation of human right. beings where there wasn't some chunk of them that was like, this is the end times. But one generation will be right (laughs) you know (laughs) there will be a generation that thinks they're living in the end times and they're right so it's not a a dispositive argument and i think the same is true for for this like just Mm -hmm. because we were wrong in the past i do think that needs to be weighed in but it doesn't mean you know cgp gray has a video from like 10 years ago at this point where humans need not apply where Mm -hmm. he makes the argument that this is this one's different um Mm -hmm. and I don't know. It's interesting and it, it but but I do think it's going to have a huge economic impact and it's going to change a bunch of stuff. So I mm-hmm. think that that's real it's and, and there are going to be winners and losers and the mm-hmm. the winners are going to be fewer and the losers are going to be more unless we do something somewhat drastic, I think. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh that's another position I have is that given our kind of outdated economic ideas that are embedded in our systems um this shit's not gonna benefit humanity as much as it could versus benefiting a small handful of people that kind of happen to happen to be the right place at the right time
0: yeah yeah well thanks for your thoughts there that's that's great like i'm gonna riff on this idea i'm going to lean a little more into maybe the utopian view of it for a second here because uh i mean sci-fi utopia stuff has often been the domain of science fiction and people usually write off discussions like hey that's science fiction whatever this is reality but now we're in we're in a moment where science fiction sounding conversations are kind of like feel like we're talking about the actual reality we're in or about to be in especially of recent years and you know there's a there was a presidential candidate in the most recent presidential election in the United States, Andrew Yang, who kind of used this thesis of like, we're going to have massive job displacement because of AI robots and automation. So we should create universal basic income. Now, his arguments aside, it's part of the conversation. That's kind of interesting. And then this has gone back for a very long time. Some people who've always kind of argued that, um, you know, the idea of like leisure or, or, or laziness or idleness or time to just be creative is something that we should strive for and th- this automation stuff i mean it, it goes way back i, mean, I, I kind of looked up some things like there was a french guy paul lafargue i don't know what it is how you say his name but the right to be lazy he wrote this in the 19th century mm-hmm. bertrand russell <laughs> one that i read and i really liked was called in praise of idleness which he wrote back in 1935 mm-hmm. more recently this guy wrote a, a, a boldly titled book called fully automated luxury communism which is this (laughs) idea that like yeah right like let the AIs and the robots do basically everything and then we just get to do the human things right the human to human the stuff where we really want it to be humans and this is pretty close to my view or at least my my hope or like as a direction that we could or should steer in and uh the Probably my favorite conversation I came across here was uh, this guy named Kai Fu Li, who's sort of a really Mm -hmm. well-known investor in both Chinese and American kind of AI companies. He wrote a book called AI Superpowers, and he did a TED Talk uh, 2018-ish, I think, uh, called How AI Can Save Our Humanity. And he basically makes this kind of argument that like, this whole kind of like workaholic thing or this whole way that you know the hustle culture or the way that we like derive meaning from from the work that we do right like maybe we're going to enter into a era after that or post that where like we will want and need meaning but and the way we spend our times we will want to still be meaningful but we're not going to be able to get the kind of meaning of of life or meaning in life, you might say, as John Verveki will say sometimes, like out of more of the human to human stuff. So in that sense, it would be like some people call it the experiential economy. Another aspect of it, I think, of is the relational economy, where it's kind of mm-hmm. it's like I'm going to go do a cool thing, watch me go, right? And I have my GoPro or my whatever, you know, and I'm going to like share I'm going to bring you along you know this is all like influencer culture on uh, YouTube sure. like this kind of thing like be a part of my life in this way and you have your little following people kind of vibe with you but also these other kinds of more intimate professions that you and I are used to like coaches mm-hmm. and facilitators and counselors and therapists and healthcare workers hospice workers you know there's this whole ca- even like teachers or, or mentors like this whole thing where a big part of the value of the activity itself comes from the fact that, like, it's you and another person in mm-hmm. a kind of relationship, mm-hmm. and that's a big part of what makes it valuable. And, like, I've, in my hopeful moments, I'm like, cool, this is the part of the economy. Like, maybe it's sort of like engineers get paid a lot, school teachers get paid very little, or or elderly companions or something, hospice workers, right? Yes. And you're like, but what if suddenly... <laughs> The AIs automate most of what the engineers do. So suddenly mm-hmm. it's actually like super cheap and it's actually cost way less. Mm-hmm. And then the kinds of things like healthcare workers and hospice workers become the highly paid professions because those are the ones where we want it to be a person. And that's kind of part of the hopeful relational economy future that I like to think we could
1: head towards. What do you think? Uh, I have a lot of different thoughts about this. so. Let me see if I can. So I I I watched the TED talk you referenced, Kaifu Lee. He seems like a a lovely and charming man. It was a very beautiful story. And shocking that an investor in multiple AI companies is is a AI, you know, optimist, right? Like, booster. Totally. Yeah, like crazy. You know, so I'm so at the end, I, you know, I I was left with a little bit of skepticism of like, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I think that's hopeful like you know I like yeah. the, like what do I say I mean it's funny I keep coming back to the you know I'm not a marxist and I'm not an economist or even like a big you know like I so I, I I don't you know I don't know what the the economic answers are but I can see the problem and so when you talk about like you know the engineers are going to you know we replace the engineers and the engineers are going to you know stop uh, getting paid a bunch, and so then we'll pay the teachers and the elderly companions more because those are humans, and we 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 can't automate that. But the the thing is, the value that the engineers were generating didn't go away. So mm-hmm. so the value is going to keep being the dominant value. It's just no longer going to be distributed amongst you know even the, right now it's distributed amongst the engineers and and the the, the software people. Instead, it's just going to be distributed amongst the the owners, right? Like it's going to be distributed sure. amongst the very small number of people that kind of that put these things into place. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and so one way to, so I don't think that those people, and then what's going to happen is there's going to be, yes, there's going, maybe going to be the only economic sector left is going to be these helping professions, these human professions, but the supply is going to be gigantic there's going to be 7 billion people that don't have anything else to do so i don't know so so just you know economically there's still a missing which is currently our systems are set up to disproportionately reward the winners and uh and ai lets us win better and so what Mm -hmm. that's going to do is disproportionately reward the winners and so by itself i don't think that ai automating away a bunch of non a bunch of computer jobs is going to mean that uh the teachers and therapists and elder companions are suddenly going to be the the kind of the wealthy class i think it it instead has a danger of creating like a a kind of like a whatever like a super rich class and then everybody else which is frightening like that sounds like really bad news. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I, to, to, this is maybe
0: a slight pushback. I I just fully, before I do that, I'll just embrace, I totally embrace what you're saying that there's the winners. There's the losers, these big players who have the resources to build the AIs, these big platform companies, people like Google and Microsoft and the Chinese sort of equivalents of these companies and so forth. Like they're still going to capture a lot of value by being able to do this. And, I think implied in what you're saying is right. There's, there's probably an additional you might say like larger scale reform or upgrade evolution sort of needed. At, at the, this is at the level of governance and the economy mm-hmm. more so than it is just about algorithms and technology. and includes Correct. those things, but it's bigger than those things. That's right. Yeah, and I and I would I would agree. And this this actually touches on another topic category, which is a huge rabbit hole. We won't go down, but it's like this, this uh, distinction between the web 2.0 and the web 3.0, right? Web mm-hmm. 2.0 where there is these internet companies that provided ways for users to generate content. At first it was blogging and then it was, you know, YouTube and social media and all these kinds of things. And at, on the one hand, it's actually kind of cool, right? You can hop on there and like make a name for yourself and become like a minor YouTube star and all this kind of thing. However, the platforms, the kind of these big companies that are essentially they're operating an online, they're they're controlling a whole marketplace, right? Like the advertising dollars and the YouTube minutes or like Amazon between the buyers and the sellers and the third-party vendors. And it's like, well, they can just, they're like the Uber middleman and that's also a problem. But then, you know, recent years and- these discussions it's it's almost like uh people in the the co-op movement which this goes back to the 19th century Mm -hmm. and these kind of newer ideas around like cryptocurrencies and how you can distribute ownership you know Mm -hmm. they've kind of come up with these ideas called like the the platform cooperative can we merge these ideas where you know it it starts to feel like it has some features of like libertarianism and some features of socialism kind of combined in an interesting way and Mm -hmm. there's way more to talk about here but like yeah, that that's a that's a potential direction of this hybrid whatever technological governance economic sort of reform to the system that would allow us to create platforms where this human to human exchange can take place more readily.
1: But interestingly, like i agree i mean that i work in that space right? like that's how i work yeah. in the kind of distributed computing space and the and, and the kind of democratizing of of computing and um what what i noticed hearing that is like the problem with looking to web 3 to uh to like solve these governance problems is uh that the that the, <laughs> the, the Web3 is like an attack vector for malicious AI <laughs> because as soon as you're opening up these kind of distributed like user controlled co-op platforms where there isn't some central person that can hit a switch and turn everything off then it it makes it that much more dangerous if there is such a thing as a malicious AI that kind of comes in and starts right. doing something whether it's sentient or not but or it's just you right. know some program that's really good at optimizing some result and it's extracting you know dangerous extracting value out of a system in a way that's you know has like bad externalities or whatever like there's that it there it also gets more dystopian so at the same time like i do think that part of the promise of web 3 is potentially solving some of these um these kind of capture problems that we have um but, but it could also
0: enable, it, like, yes. the, it, essentially the blockchain equivalent of like an internet worm, which could be like super devastating, right? Right,
1: like, and much harder to deal with. Much yeah. harder. Yeah. yeah, it's a security
0: issue at that level. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Rabbit hole. Like, <laughs> let's let's go past this one.
0: Great. Let's just say we 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 recognize the need for kind of an evolution of of governance and economics Great. along with this thing. If we're gonna have a world where People that do more human to human like work, you might say, or just they spend their time doing more human to human stuff and they're not essentially, you know, having. I mean, it's a weird thing. Like, What's the ultimate version of this? It's like people hanging out and somehow earning a living or like being able to meet their basic human needs or the economy somehow. It's, it's a weird thing, right? I mean, if I think about some of the things that you and I have done in our the, the human side of our career, right? It's like a lot of that kind of is, right? It's like, we're going to sit in a circle and we're going to share our feelings and then we're going to share what it's like to hear about this person's feelings back with yeah. them. And you're kind of like, okay, what are we doing here? It's like, and then we're like amplifying this kind of like felt sense of of connection, intimacy. And we're like, wow, we can even teach people how to like generate this thing. And then it's it it has such a high degree of what you might call like intrinsic reward or intrinsic mm-hmm. value that it becomes kind of like, there's almost like a danger of it becoming too addicting at, at times where people are like quitting their jobs and just sitting around talking about their feelings all the time. And, and we, we have seen some of this in mm-hmm. some of our communities and practice where it's like, cool, what do you want to do? I just want to go back,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: over to the community center and, you know, find some people and talk about my feelings some more because it feels really good. Right. And you're like, yeah. okay, fascinating. But like, in some sense, it's a good thing. I can see how it can become too much of a good thing. But when I sort of think about like a, an ideal future, it's like there is there is something about you know sharing in the human experience together and the way that it is intrinsically valued. It's valuable. It seems like this is a really great way for people to sp- spend their times, their time in some kind of utopian future. Assuming that the so, let's just kind of assume for the purpose of the discussion that the AI's work and the economic system upgrades it and like, okay, cool. Like we're, we're there. Is this, is this yeah. a good idea?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that's a, and th- th- it's reminding me, I knew there was something else I wanted to say about, about the, um, the kind of the, the super optimist, the the kaifuli, Lee, like AI is going to take away our, our need to work so that we can spend time with our families. And, um, I think if, you know, he seems like a real, like a workaholic, right? Like the guy, you know, maybe that's oh, his whole TED he talk. he was, sto- right. Right, maybe yeah. he was, right? Like his whole TED talk is the story of what a workaholic he was. And um, for those people, <laughs> it, maybe they need to work less. Like, you know, I it, there's also something that's like, well, work is fun. Like, it's interesting to work. It It does give meaning and i do i don't think that that's wholly pathological i think it's been a, it's been co-opted by you know by our culture and society in in ways that become pathological and i think american culture particularly but also you know it sounds like i don't know china but it sounds like china is like not doing great on the (laughs) work-life balance thing but like you know compared to europe like i was just in in germany and it's way more chill there. people do not work as much and they and i think they're happier for it right so so like i'm not saying Mm -hmm. like america work ethic is great but i do i i wouldn't want to live in a world where there was no work to do because it's fun for me to work like it's it's fun for me and because what is work work is uh solving problems work is looking at like a a a gap or a problem in the world as it is today and imagining a better future and moving towards that and if and and i don't like the idea of a world where all of the problems have been solved and there's nothing left to do I also think that it's just never going to happen like it's not available so that's also good news but like you know that's that's the other thing i would say about the kind of super utopian vision of this is like it's just it it's just a safe bet. Like, you know, when electricity was coming around, we talked about this with the atomic stuff, right? Like people mm-hmm. when of really on, on computers, when the, the dawn of the web, and we were like, okay, this is just gonna, you know, everybody's just gonna love each other now. We're gonna understand each other, we can communicate across the whole world, and it's just gonna create this like global consciousness of unity and love, and it's like, yeah, that's not what happened, right? Like, but but right. I'm not also like a you know, like a Luddite of saying like there are people that are like, got the you know, the web, mm-hmm. especially Web 2.0. It was just an absolute unmitigated disaster and it's made the world worse like and but the same with electricity the same with atomic stuff you know wh- whoever first made the wheel was probably like shit like all my problems are solved now i can roll this thing right when we look at the wheel today <laughs> we don't think about the wheel as being some kind of magical solution to all our problems so to me, the most likely thing is that we are going to continue to live in a a flawed and beautiful world and that AI is going to make our lives better in a way which we will very rapidly become completely, like, accustomed to and take for granted and not really enjoy the benefits in the same way, you know, uh, Louis CK has that gag where he's on the plane and the guy's like, there's Wi-Fi on the plane and the Wi-Fi cuts out. He's like, oh, man. He's like, and it's like, you know, we, um, we immediately just take for granted all of these amazing new technologies. And then we're back to, and this is where I kind of get a little bit Buddhist. We're back to like, nothing is going to solve the fundamental uh, problems of being human. There is no solution to them. And that's not what, you know, what, what technology is for. So anyway, I, I, that's, maybe a little bit of a tangent from from what you were initially asking but um yeah no it's it's relevant there's there's a sense of if if i reflect on my own
0: life right there there is a sense of meaning and purpose that i feel has this real intrinsic pleasure to it that is human centered right? mm-hmm. like this comes in the form of like my friendships my family relationships right. my intimate partnerships and you know hanging out, right? Like right. talking about movies or going to the movies together. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, going for a hike and just spending quality time. And we think of these things as you know, maybe they're ephemeral or if we were to kind of put a price tag on them, they would feel it would feel a little icky, right? But and it's like, you no, know, we want that to just kind of be genuine, kind of freely exchanged, not under the purview of like marketplace dynamics is, is kind of part of like what preserves or kind of correlates to this intrinsic value thing. And then on the other hand, I I get some amount of meaning and purpose of like accomplishing something. I mean, maybe it's like, I want to sit down and and draw something or, uh, you know, write a song. I haven't been known to do that in times past, uh, Solve a project, build a thing, you know. Build a, <laughs> the last one I remember doing was like, okay, build these like little end shelves on the side of the cabinet in the kitchen where we could put all our coffee mugs. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, I don't want to hire somebody to do that. And some of the stuff is kind of like, yeah, somebody to clean the toilets. Let's hire somebody to do that, right? But you know, a home improvement project is actually a place where people do a lot, a lot of that nesting and kind of like, I want it to be me who kind of comes up with the idea and then does the work to accomplish it to mm-hmm. some degree. Um, So I don't think the, like the doing of the things has no intrinsic value or meaning. It's just that I suppose like, you know, what is the, what is the good life in, in a world where like people, you know, kind of imagining this utopia again, don't have to work in order to have their basic needs fulfilled. Yes. Right. Then we don't necessarily get this extractive market dynamic where. We have to f- have to find some way of, of attaching emotional meaning to some like r- rote kind of like repetitive thing that we do right like in order to you know <laughs> whatever feel good about like having to kind of toil away in order to like not starve to death we don't yes. we don't have that anymore right then the world will become a mix of like whatever personal projects and having a good time. You know, playing games together, hanging out, designing games for each other. I don't know, like creating little like Minecraft simulations. Hey, come to my little Minecraft thing or whatever. I don't know. That but
1: kind of yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like I, I fully i what what seems utopian to me is this idea that not in a bad way, but like as in yes, I'm I'm on board with this utopia. Is uh, everybody? In the world, has their basic needs met? Everybody has, you know, a a a comfortable, pleasant place to live, enough good, healthy food to eat, access to education, clean water, healthcare, and you know, and other human beings and Mm -hmm. nature, right? Like, I don't know, there might be some more things, but that that sounds like a decent list of like, let's get everybody to that, and see what people do and and get them to that yeah without them having to everything you just said without them having to kind of contort themselves into some weird shape to to do something that they wouldn't be inclined to do of their own steam and, and 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 see what they do and yeah and i and then i think you know i mean there are visions of this that are more or less kind of interesting right like uh star trek uh, initially was a utopian vision right like it's mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. i think not so much because Hollywood, but uh, uh, but the, sure. the the earlier iterations, um, uh, the culture novels. Have you read the culture novels, Ian Banks, or I think it's Ian M Banks. No. Uh, really? Oh, dude, you would love them. They're so good. But they're like, totally, it's like, how do you write novels in a, in a utopian future that's run by AI? I mean, it's literally, that's the, that's the, uh, the kind of question he's answering. It's like, how do you still tell stories? What, what are the conflicts? What's interesting? Mm -hmm. And he goes in some really wild places. It's super, yeah, they're great. Um, but that's that utopia. Yes. Let's do it. I don't know. I don't know. I was like waiting for the butt and I'm like, no, let's do it. And yeah, and, and yeah, what would people do? What would they do? Yeah. I mean, they would, I, you know, I think that they would continue to build things. I think that they would can, right. Like that they would continue to create new structures. They would make, you know, they would, you know, that we would go to space, right. We would build you know, new kinds of cities we would, you know, and, and new kinds of communities. And we would, um, and, and art, all the different kinds of art, like the the widest possible interpretation. And yes, some of, and we would for sure, you know, one of the things that happens, right? Like this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like as you're a lower level, right? Like the, the story you were talking about, the, the work that you and I did together for years was we were working on a very high level of the uh, on the hierarchy of needs we're working on self-actualization right like for the most part and you know with Uh some kind of healing Uh and relational lower level need stuff but essentially the only people that were showing up to that were people that more or less had those lower needs handled and were interested in doing or or at least successfully bypassed and were interested in doing self-actualization need stuff and um that i think Mm -hmm. As the lower needs get more automated, you get more room for that. And it's, um, yeah. And it's, and so that for sure, some of what will happen is there'll be more and more people in various ways, whether it's relationally or whether it's by going to spiritual teachers or whether it's by whatever else, you know, astrology, but they're going to get into like deepening their own sense of their, their unique human expression in the world. Right. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I take a pretty broad view of like what I think people will do. And I do think currently, if you kind of take this top 10% of the globally wealthy, both of, you know, you and I are kind of in, in that, you know, we live in modern Western democracies, capitalists, blah, 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 this thing. Uh, we already are starting to see that. And, you know, you, you, you touched on a few of them. Like, what would people sort of do if they had the kind of spare time to do it? It's like, yeah, maybe they would go do a lot of transformational workshops or they might, you know, join communities where they get to sit around talking about their feelings. Or maybe they go off and be like, let's do that thing. Let's be an an intentional community and have a farm and it's organic and we're all going to live together and it's going to be whatever polyamory or not something else like Mm -hmm. Uh, like th- these kinds of pursuits of you might say, kind of experimental living. I think there's a there's a correlation here with you know just just how many people go off and in, into cults in in, uh, in in kind of modern kind of affluent societies. Let's go over here, and it's like a lot of stuff built around around wellness or around spirituality. Kind of leads in that direction, but also to kind of broaden the inclusiveness here in a weird way is you might say like junk YouTube. Is that if you think about like the amount of weird little check me out, I I don't know, watch me do my makeup or watch me eat a raw steak or listen to me chew on it or these all these weird obscure things and people are kind of like, cool, I get to do this weird thing and then yeah. invite people to kind of join me in doing it and they do and I kind of get to make a living doing it and people go like, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. You know, it's sort of weird. Like, or I'm going to perfect my body through working out and I'm going to share people my process. Look at this new little piece of whatever exercise equipment. or Let me show you how to do the proper form of this or that. I mean, there's, and then you have an audience for it. And then you're like, all right, cool. I'm just inviting people to join me in doing what I would normally do with for myself. And you kind of created this, like, it's like a niche It's just this hyper, whatever you want to call it, like massive amount of specialization across a huge swath of the market and people get to do that now N- not everybody but a lot of people
1: yeah yeah and well and that's you know i think that it's that's a version of self actualization right like right. that to to the degree you know when somebody says my job is just being me and i'm getting paid for it like you know it maybe that's self actualization or maybe that's actually just getting to that utopian vision accidentally a little sooner than the rest of us like You know, like I don't (laughs) like my job is not I don't just get paid to be me like I get paid to work (laughs) like I get, you know, I have to make myself think about stuff that, you know, I otherwise, you know, I'm interested in thinking about, but not necessarily every day. I don't wake up and be like, oh, well, wow, it's amazing that I'm just naturally doing the thing that I am getting paid to do that I would otherwise just do for my own entertainment. Right. So. It's interesting because there's, and we're, here we're, we're kind of, you know, we keep hanging out in economics, which I hope is okay. But like, you know, because there's two ways of imagining that. Like there's one where, you know, the current version is people have found a way to monetize that stuff right? Like the guy that's eating mm-hmm. raw steaks has found some way of like, you know, he goes on YouTube basically. And so, and, and how is that monetized Well, YouTube is selling advertising? And so the advertisers are extracting enough value out of the people watching him eat steaks to be able to share some of that mm-hmm. wealth with him via YouTube, who also takes a cut. Right. And so all of that's pretty gross. much as you say that, right? Like, you know, it's like, what's the version where they're, you know, where and maybe there's always should be prizes. And this is, you know, I think the difference between, I don't know what the difference between communism and socialism is. I don't know if anybody does, but like maybe the difference is in one, there's still rich people and not so rich people. Um, and you know, the people that figure out a way of, of extracting value or generating value or extracting value, um, win more i so i don't know what i'm saying i'm i'm saying like that thinking about like making youtube videos of yourself eating steak as a job is what if it were just a hobby and and instead we just all had hobbies yes you're kind of getting close to what i what i imagine it would be like
0: i mean one more note on the economics and then i want to bring it back to the relational because that's where relational conversations here but uh mm-hmm. you know one these platforms kind of open up the possibilities of, of, of hacking them and and i do think whatever it is it you know the algorithm sort of tends to reward outrage but like the number one youtuber right now is mr beast and his shit is like feel good charity stuff and it's 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 total clickbait it's total junk lord whatever you know i'm gonna give a million dollars away to whatever. but like it's a weird thing where he's like cool i'm gonna monetize the shit out of this youtube channel where i get like you know 200 million views on every video and i make millions and millions of dollars but i'm not pocketing it i'm just taking the money that comes in from this and turning it into the prize money for the next video and i just create this like clickbait you know a number with a bunch of zeros after it watch me give away blah and then everyone and then all the kids are kind of like going like and they're and they're savvy enough to know, kind of cool. I just keep my eyeballs on this to the, from the beginning to the end. I get entertained. Mr. Beast gets money. Mr. Beast gives it. It's like you're, it's like you're extracting value from advertisers, from rich companies, they, and giving it to fucking regular people. But,
1: but you're not, because where are the advertisers getting their money from? Sure. From you. Right. I mean, like the the kids might maybe think they're immune, but there's no fucking way they're immune. Otherwise, the no, advertisement. No, I'm, I'm is, right. not saying it's a perfect system. Yeah. I'm just saying it's, like it's a wild. it's an interesting conduit that sort of creates some capital flow in the reverse direction, which is kind of. Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, it's you know, it's I, I see what you mean that it's it's weirdly monetizing philanthropy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which
0: is, yeah. you know, which is that's weird. And you're, it's crowdsourcing it, too, because you're kind of right. like, cool, I'm going to turn your eyeballs into money right. and give it to somebody who needs it. <laughs> right? right. Like, right. It's, And it's working. Like, whatever it is, the combination of the algorithm and Mr. Beast's brain and, uh, you know, this whole fad of junk lord YouTube or something is working for, for the time being. You know, right. it's it's. who knows if that little loophole will close eventually. But then I imagine there will be kind of another one. Right. Like, anyway. Back to relational stuff. Great. So, the, I'm gonna do a little kind of historical place setting here again. Like early on in the history of computer science and and AI ish things, like this guy. It was like back in the 60s. Created a thing called Eliza, mm-hmm. and that's that's an acronym for something. And maybe people have heard of Eliza more recently because of all this discussion of Chat GPT. But essentially, it was just a a very simple chat bot. It was text only and it modeled itself off of like a, a, a new form of psychotherapy at the time. It was pioneered by a guy called Carl Rogers, which is essentially more or less just repeat back to the person, what you just heard them say. Right. And then they have this experience of like, I'm being heard and understood. And just that feels better. Right. than the way you felt before, like, like, oh, man, right, I'm feeling really sad because I just had a fight with my girlfriend. And then the chatbot goes, yeah, I hear you're feeling really sad. (laughs) You just had a fight with your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And then the person goes like, yeah. And it was, this. I mean, it's just so basic. And it's so, it's a million miles more primitive than the fucking chatbots we have now. The sophistication is just so... Right, so small, <laughs> but people were like loved Eliza. <laughs> like they were like, "This is good for me. This is good for my mental health. I like this. This is great." Like, and then recently, I mean, people like as soon as Chad GPT came out, people were like, "What do we use this for? Let's see if we can do therapy with it." And some people like, "This is really good." This um, Coco thing. This this founder of, did you hear about this one? No, Cocobot. So it was it was like a peer-to-peer thing. So they have a network of, like, peer-to-peer support. It's, like, not quite like Suicide Hotline, but, like, you know, it's like chat roulette. I guess, you know, find so, reach out and find somebody who, like, you can just have a conversation with. It. And we've been around circles of people who have, like, trained in things like co-counseling, yeah. kind of, like, techniques yeah, yeah. for doing this really well. But it's like, hey, it's not quite, like these bigger platforms like dial therapist sort of things, but it's kind of like connect to another person. And they were, they were like, let's see if we can have the chat GPT like listen in on the chat between these two people mm-hmm. and suggest things to say. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. Like the, the ratings of these were higher than the average human responses without the chat GPT support. But then as soon as they revealed to the users that the <laughs> responses were, enhanced by chat gpt mm-hmm. then people were like more disappointed with essentially the same output so there was this; it was like just having that extra little meta knowledge that it was sort of chatbot enhanced decreased your satisfaction with a thing and i think this kind of raises a bunch of different things where it's you know like on the one hand maybe having computer assisted you know support bots chat bots would be Good. Right. Because in in a sense, like, you know, when I'm at my lowest or when I sometimes I just like, you know, scribble on a piece of paper, I'm journaling or whatever. Right. It's like, do I do I really need another person? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, sometimes it kind of helps. But, you know, then you kind of get into this whole thing of like the helping professions like therapists and counselors, they experience things like. Empathy and compassion fatigue, and it does incorporate this weird kind of marketplace dynamic into something that is human to human, which sort of makes it a little strange. Like, I don't know. Any thoughts on this general area?
1: Yeah, it, this is. I mean, so I'll I'll throw in because I this is as good a place as any to throw in this image. Because um, you know, one of the things like I I've definitely read about uh, Chat GPT doing text therapy. And, and being more effective than human therapists doing text therapy. Um, right. Which, you know, okie doke, but like I've never done text therapy in my life and I have no interest in it. Like I do therapy with a human being. I mean, I do therapy over Zoom and I'm like, would rather, you know, rather not, but that's just kind of uh, how it works. Well, I it's complicated. Sure. anyway. Anyway. Um, but the so the, the image that the popped into my head recently was the the realization that we're a couple minutes, you know, metaphorically away from our, there being ghosts in our zoom meetings, that there being these kind of disembodied mm-hmm. like video entities, which have language processing, like chat GPT have audio synthesis and and audio, uh, you know, uh, Processing like the audio synthesis and audio processing things we have now and video synthesis, it's not going to be long before all that stuff is real time and indistinguishable from uh, a, an actual human being in an actual physical space, space that's being videoed and put onto um, Zoom and whether and then how we, you know, how people experience those things when they know that they're talking to a human versus when they i sorry when they're told that they're talking to an ai versus when they're not told they're talking to an ai i think it's going to be super interesting and weird will we be able to tell will there be some creepy feeling that we get that lets us know like in the way that you kind of can right now you can tell what when uh ai generated imagery you can basically pretty much always tell seems like with imagery that's not gonna last pretty soon it's gonna be impossible for human beings to distinguish w- when when it's an actual being. That's interesting because because a lot of what therapy is about is co-regulation. Mm-hmm. A lot of what therapy is about is you are getting into connection with a human being that who has a nervous system, and their nervous system mm-hmm. is is teaching you something through that connection about how you can how your nervous system can operate. And so can that be simulated? That's a really interesting question. Like, and does it matter at that point if I know? Like if if I know, say you're the robot therapist and I know you're an AI, mm-hmm. but when I say, I know you're an AI, you're just so, you have the perfect response you know, that just like touches me, even though. And then I'm like, I don't want to be touched by your perfect response. I know that you're just a machine. And even then you just still keep having this perfect. You just have, you know, the perfect thing to say because you've been trained. Now, kind of what's interesting and maybe where this doesn't end up working is what you can't do with a, a robot AI that you can do in other deep learning situations is train at a crazy rate like the way that alpha go got as good as it did is by playing against itself at at superhuman speeds yeah you you can't do therapy at superhuman speeds yeah because you know because you can't train you know therapy bot against therapy bot Like because they're gonna go off into some weird fucking land that when you put it in front of a human, it's gonna be like you know they're gonna be doing therapy for AI that's like not gonna be relevant you know, so maybe that's where you know we don't end up having to confront this in a real way, but Mm -hmm. yeah, so I yeah I don't know I don't know it's weird I don't think I would want to do therapy with a AI like it doesn't sound Yeah. Like, like I would be getting what I want from it. But what about coaching? Right. What about coaching where it's like, I'm not, I'm not there to have an experience with a human being specific. And what's weird about coaching is coaching and therapy are kind of on a continuum and any good coach sometimes is really doing therapy, even though they're not allowed to say that. But part of coaching is just kind of way more mechanical and way more like, and that's interesting where it's like, yeah, what if I could have a coach that was just, you know, instead of costing hundreds of dollars to get on the phone was just like free or, you know, a cheap subscription and was actually helping me with my strategic life stuff. Like, yeah. Totally.
0: I mean, we're definitely in territory where I don't feel even like I've adequately formed my own perspectives on it. Like I'm in the process of like, this is partly why I wanted to have this conversation with you. Right. Cause I can see a lot of different sides to this, right? Like, like you said about coaching, I could see how some of that could be mechanized and there's like, there's like a social benefit to that too. Cause essentially now you're kind of the whole, whatever body of work of like coaching, imagine a chat bot that could sort of do that. And now you have like, access to pretty decent level coaching to millions of people at a much lower price point like that could really improve people's lives in a whole lot of ways right especially if you're kind of like i don't really care if it's a chat bot or not right like there's certain like and this is sort of a little bit weird right like as the job is more utility like maybe at the other extreme is like one of the human things that the AI automation folks are excited to automate away is customer service, right? It's just like, Mm -hmm. what are you doing? It's like, well, I have this problem. And then it asks you a question, what about that? And it's like, okay, cool. Well, imagine if you could like create the the ultimate chat bot customer service agent for your software application. And you don't have to have a fucking person over there. Like now try rebooting. Now try like clicking here. It's just
1: like, given the Given that currently when I get onto a, a, you know, like a, a robot phone system, all I do is just make a be. I'm just like human being. Human being. Talk to an agent. Talk-. Like I am just like right. like I'm I'm nervous about that. Like there's a kind of you know there's a kind of dystopian almost like Kafka-esque or not, but like version yeah. where you're on the phone with the customer service robot and it's not understanding you, and you and you're in hell. <laughs> but you know yes.
0: But there there is also the like like millions of very crappy actual people. Right. Customer service agents. That is also a kind of a. That's leader. true. It's like, not
1: like, like it's yeah. both people it, it, <laughs> on both ends right. of the line. Right, right, right. Like, right. Like, that's true.
0: And people, people do cheat, treat customer service agent kind of shittily. And it's a really entry level job. Whatever, whatever this thing is, you blah, and you. Know, it's like I need you to help me, whatever. Right, and it's a little bit you're kind of tooling somebody to kind of just help you achieve an objective. Like we don't really care all that much that that's another person mm-hmm. over there, mm-hmm. right? It's this. It's a strange kind of thing you know like at least we're uh, not incentivized to
1: i try to but no but there isn't right right that
0: yeah yeah yeah. i have to kind of work to be like remind myself okay treat this person kindly they're just a customer service person you know but along that continuum right you can kind of go over to like this high end kind of like yeah, yeah like the deep thing you know i need if i'm going to unlock some of my deepest held traumas i mean like if I go for a really in-depth kind of transformational bodywork session in, you know, like I've gone to some really high-end bodywork people. And like there, it's kind of like it's, it would be difficult to imagine a robot doing that for me. You know right. what I mean? Like it's like I'm in a kind of like somatic dialogue with another person's nervous system. And that's like unlocking layers in me and helping me release deeply held, whatever, not in my body, mind system or, or however you want to describe it.
1: Maybe it. it reminds me of Carl, uh, of Carl Buchheit of NLP Marin talks about this, like whenever somebody, um, complains about like, God, are we just talking about parent stuff again? And it's like, yeah, you were raised by parents, therefore you have parent issues. If you were raised by wolves, you would have wolf issues, and like when we can generalize that and say you were raised by humans, and so you have human issues, and there are only those those human issues are likely only resolvable with humans. Like, and that's kind of that's what therapy is. It's like you you got your your human issues that you got from all your interactions with humans, and now you're dealing with it. You're working with a human to try and repair some of that damage. Now, as children are more and more raised by AI, they might have more and more AI issues that actually can be repaired by AI later down the road by better AI. Like the first generation of kids that's raised by robo parents will have to go to the second generation of robotherapists therapists to to heal the damage that the robo parents did. Um, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, we're not quite there yet. I mean, I do think that there's
0: gonna be a spectrum of things. Like certain, you can get, you know, there's this whole kind of crazy online market for these body toys. You get a machine that shakes your legs around or something, or like a massage table that you lay on and it massages you automatically. It's like, okay, that's pretty cool, right? Like I don't necessarily want to pay the the high ticket price for the, you know, the deep somatic trauma release person. You know, maybe I do that, I don't know, every few months and I do my little massage chair or something like that every day. And that's a good combination. Maybe there's sort of an equivalent here in the kind of conversational or mental health sort of space where it's like, cool, give me AI chat bot that does some combination of just like listening and hearing me. So I hear myself reflect, reflective listening, plus load up some kind of coaching suggestions. And that's good a lot of the time. And then some of the time I want this high end thing. I mean, it- <laughs> i think i think that this seems like a reasonable kind of combination of things i mean it yeah it all it also kind of raises the question too of like you know if th- therapy was invented not that long ago historic in historical terms right like yeah. so what was before that i mean it i think at some level people were just kind of like sucking it up right you know more lower level on the maslow's hierarchy where it's kind of the way we were focusing our attention mm-hmm. we didn't really have the luxury to kind of unwind our childhood traumas or whatever. But on on the other hand, I think there was like some equivalent, like you might say like priests, I sure. guess, or, or ministers did something somewhat e- equivalent to that kind of in a larger context. And I don't know, maybe there is some, you know, in a way, you know, when I think of like working out my relational issues, it, it helps have external help. Like if, you know, if I'm I'm going through a tough time with my girlfriend, it would be like, well, I want to talk this over with a friend Mm -hmm. or my own therapist. So I'm not like having to bring all of that or or feeling like I need to bring all of that into my relationship with my girlfriend. I can just kind of focus on the relational thing. So it's like there's some amount of distribution there that is kind of like, I want a human on, on either end of Mm -hmm. that kind of, the the support person and the main person. But then there's also kind of like, I still need to know how to communicate effectively with my girlfriend, you mm-hmm. know, like that, the need for me to be able to do that is not going to go away. And I think that's where kind of relational communication and training kind of will probably never go
1: away fully, you know, anyway, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Um, my brain's going a few different directions but like uh you know the question about what you know what preceded therapy and you know i think in some sense like well it was a legitimate innovation that's like you know what preceded you know uh allopathic medicine was a bunch of nonsense, (laughs) like and some you know probably some you know good folk tradition stuff but like a lot of stuff that uh that that didn't work as well right so i think that there's Mm -hmm. It's reasonable to say that we just weren't as, as good, you know, there's a, but if, you know, uh, James Hillman, who's, you know, a Jungian, um, analyst, uh, mm. has a, a book. That's a great title. It's something like, um, we've had a hundred years of therapy. Why is everything getting worse? <laughs> Which I think is, you know, it's a great <laughs> question. Uh, I don't, I haven't read the books. I don't know what his answer would be, I, but probably he's not actually that big of a fan of therapy. I don't think so. It'd probably be like, yeah, it doesn't really work, but, um, you know and then there's these these questions of like well modern right like like in the modern world the last kind of 100 150 years um the the unique pathologies that that are kind of showing up because of that a big one being i think this like uh, atomization of community and this kind of isolation right and so the work like the relational and this comes back to you know when you were saying about People quitting their jobs and just saying, I just want to come to the community center and do circling all day because I, you know, I just like, that's what I just want to do. And like, I, I think to me, that's a kind of like when people get addicted to something like that, that is a, um, it's a response to a fear of future scarcity, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's like. I, I had a scarcity of something in the past of some vital nutrient, which I think just like human, basic human connection being with like have feeling your heart with another person mm-hmm. feeling seen see, feeling like you see somebody like that is a, deep important nutrient and also to be witnessed in a community not just like on a one-on-one but to be witnessed over time with other people that can see who you are today who you were in the past, yes. who you're going to be in the future like all of that is this kind deeply important nutrient which we're hungry for we're missing yeah. and we have this kind of scarcity and then a bunch of there's a bunch of pathology that goes on top of that and then when you find it you become gluttonous. Right, like then you go like ah, oh, I gotta just like get as much as I can, yes. in because I don't know if I'm ever gonna, you know, I don't know when I'm gonna run out and when I'm not gonna have it again. And so, like, yeah, I don't know how this all relates to AI at all, but like, it, like that, it, it's a nutrient that we that we need and that we culturally, like, I guess maybe this is how it relates is like modernity stripped that away in a really kind of painful way yep. that if one of the things that the, that the AI age can bring is enough room in people's lives to be able to recreate that uh that community then i think that that's a way that it could be really beneficial and beautiful
0: yeah okay so now we're kind of smack in the middle of like where i feel very ambivalent about it. like it's a a little bit... It's actually analogous to the thing of, like, do we want the AIs to kind of have their own sentience and agency, or do we want the AIs to mainly be sort of tools that we use to get other shit done, and we don't really relate with them as, like, other beings with rights and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I definitely favor the second, and especially when it comes to this area of, like, uh, uh, relational and emotional labor, or whatever you want to call this, right? It's like, I want the AI to... So... I think you're right in your historical accounting, like modernity sort of stripped away this kind of community thing. And if we maybe imagine some idealized hunter gatherer past, which is like, Hey, who we are. And some people even say that this is actually the way that the brain is evolved. Like who we even think ourselves to be is a kind of somewhat distributed whatever process, which is like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just my idea of myself inside my own head. It's actually, you know, that, way i communicate with the people who have known me my entire life right the Mm -hmm. parents the children the siblings the cousins and there's this kind of way that like we tend to shape our identities around the group inclusion that we're a part of and if that group inclusion is more or less kind of like this i guess sort of organic Thing that doesn't really change, like people didn't you didn't ghost other people when you were in a fucking hunter gatherer (laughs) tribe because you'd be dead, right? Like, but here it's like there's just so many. We can just be like, nope, you're gone, and then replace, right? And like, there's a way we sort of with the marketplace dynamics or the online communication, we we tend to start tooling each other, and then I'm like, oh man, so so is this a correction? And like, if the correction, let's just say one version of the correction is people learn to how to actually be in real human to human contact with each other better. Maybe it's kind of a remedial. We need to go relearn how to be decent people with each other again. And this is where our work and authentic relating and circling and my work currently with meta relating is like, can we help people become better at that again? Especially if kind of the the modern socioeconomic cultural sort of modernity, like you said, and post-modernity has has atomized it and separated us, and like removed essentially this developmental nutrient mm-hmm. in the relational dimension that like it is very scarce, mm-hmm. right? Like, but the answer is like not to put a an AI at the other end of that exchange, but actually help people become better at
1: doing that with other people because that's the place where we want it to be. Totally. totally and i I, yeah maybe i wasn't clear i'm i'm saying the ai automates enough of our tasks that we have the time and space to be able to go do that with people yeah
0: the other tasks Yeah, the not yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah yeah.
1: like the ai does (laughs) our taxes so that you know whatever it is like so that we can so that we can spend more time in community yeah
0: yeah but the the, here's where the gray area kind of comes into being for me which is kind of like like okay so what what (laughs) to what degree is the kind of like AI assistant like helping with that, right? Like the AI, like there are people in our circles who are like, I'm building an AI empowered coaching app or relational Mm -hmm. facilitation app or this sort of thing. And I'm like- An insane amount, actually. Do you know what the fuck you're doing? Like you're literally taking the one thing that we don't want to automate away entirely and you're accelerating that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, Like, let's not- take human relationships every i mean there's there's weird precedents for this right like i mean the whole kind of sex bot as soon as we had robots people were like let's make sex bots right or like in japan they have this Have you heard of these rental family services where you're like i need to go to a funeral so i'm gonna rent a girlfriend or something, you know what i mean like no that's wild. A per, an actor who pretends to be like this is kind of part of the we the one of the <laughs> symptoms of the right illness of modern secularism right. is this kind of thing where like, whoa, we've actually put marketplace dynamics on actual embodied person relationships, right? Like, mm-hmm. right. Or, 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 or sex right. workers who provide the girlfriend right, right, experience. Right. Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. It's like,
1: no, I, I mean, that's why I, and I, you know, I mean, Japan's it's super interesting because they, kinda of, they have the, I forget the name of it, but they have this phenomena which I think started there but is spread out of these young men I think specifically just kind of locking themselves in their rooms and just being like, I'm yeah. I'm just not gonna leave my house, not gonna leave my room, I'm gonna get all of my needs met via, you know, my parents putting food, you know, under my door. And and then other than that, I'm just gonna be online and I'm gonna, you know, whatever it is, like watch watch TV go maybe go to chat rooms and just like completely like talk about isolated. I mean, just like completely isolate from, from society and like, you know, Japan is obviously this hyper modern country in mm-hmm. this like super. And, you know, I've, i mean been, you know, you know, like Tokyo, do you know how 37 million people live in Tokyo? That's, mo- that's more, that's more than half the population of the UK. Like it's like, you know that's. I mean, it's close to California, right? Yeah. So. In yeah. Tokyo, in one city. I mean, it's it's crazy. Anyway, Japan is wild place. But like, what is that? Like, I like what is that? Like, I'm yeah. really like because it feels like that's the end game of this pathology, right? And there's you know there's a dystopic right. vision of a world where everybody right like the where everybody 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 stays in their house like the vr like the facebook fucking what do they call that the thing they're trying to do now like that's just like metaverse evil it's just so clearly evil and it's just bad news (laughs) zoom is enough like it's yeah i'm 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 becoming increasingly let up but like there's this dystopic vision where everybody's in a tiny little box that's just large enough for them to physically be and they're walking on their treadmill and they're eating their fucking nutrient paste and they're and all of the life that they're experiencing is coming through devices where they're doing vr and they're and they're having all of their relationships and all of their life and the the thing about that when you do that uh people become very cheap to maintain right like yeah. relative to actually needing like enough physical room and to physically be able to walk to the grocery store to interact with people. So right. there are there are incentives in reality, economic incentives to push to that kind of dystopic world. And um, that's very frightening. Yes. This is part of the problem, right? Like,
0: and some of the things that I, I if I have like a admonition, I suppose, on the people that are trying to accelerate the automation of like you know emotional labor (laughs) in the marketplace i'm like no 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 hang on put the pump the brakes on this one especially is because like part of at least the way i think about it part of what accelerates that dystopic end game is when you start substituting yes ais for people right it's like you know (laughs) i mean a simple version of is like i I remember reading some articles and like you know kids are learning how to you know be jerks (laughs) because they're talking to down to alexa or something like this right it's like what what are you doing you're like you're like it's not a person i don't care it just does what i want and you're like okay well now you have a substitute friend that like never experiences empathy fatigue Mm -hmm. right and you just like get to you get to blab on and on and on about you complain 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 and it just fucking validates your feelings Mm -hmm. oh man that sounds tough you're like, yeah so it was a fucking man you just what and you're like this is like having a a bad therapist, like an enabling, yeah. ther- you're creating like a codependent relationship with an AI that never tires, but totally knows how to like get you in a way that like has you feel good about yourself. And then you're like, give me more right. of this. I don't want people in my right. life
1: anymore. Right. The, it, it, fu- it fuels the narcissism that like, I don't have to experience like, discomfort or, or, uh, uh, missing or, or like all of the stuff that happens in real human relationship. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You say that I, I, uh, um, when I interact with chat GPT, I make it like a, a practice to be polite. Like I'm, I say, please, I say, thank you. I say, can you do this? Like, you know, I'm actually, because I, because I don't want, not because I think that it has feelings, but because I don't want to get into the habit of, of treating, treating my conversational partner as if they don't have feelings. Like, yeah. So yeah. 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 I mean, the extreme version of this is Westworld. We
0: are like, I, this is for all intents and purposes, like a real human person in front of me, but you're like, cool, but I can murder or rape it because it's a robot and I don't care. Like what effect does that have back on you? as a person is this good is this what, what good is this like is it just amplifying not the better angel angels of our nature but are like inner demons in some way right. like i mean I, you, I could sort of see this kind of going in this way and i mean maybe there's like an auto correct in here so, like do you remember what uh it was, it was agent smith was talking to morpheus about the, the first version of the matrix in the movie he's like we made it totally wonderful uh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, people like, people did not uh, accept the programming because they wanted something, like, kind of conflict. And in a way, I could sort of see that as, like, a, oh, yeah, you know, look at those hu- stupid humans who, like, you know, want want to be shitty to each other. But then on the other hand, I'm like, it, like, Stepford-wise, do I want a girlfriend that just, like, right. does everything I want all of the time? Like, is that a real relationship? Right. Like, isn't part of what makes the relationship interesting the differences? Right like the places where we overlap and then the places where we're different. It's, it almost kind of comes like this kind of hedonic set point. If like, if everything is good, then nothing feels good anymore because you, there's no contrast, right? right? You got to
1: have- Right, or like, you know, like why, you know, like sex is more interesting than masturbation. But with masturbation, you have <laughs> right. a partner who can exactly feel exactly what you would want to feel, and is perfectly attuned. But it's way more fun to be masturbated by somebody else than it is to masturbate yourself. Because I hope you're allowed to talk about this. Totally, this series. is to, no it's okay. Relational. Yeah, it's great. B- because like th- there's something tantalizing about the ways that they're not totally attuned. There's something exciting about not being perfectly met because then it gives you room to reach for something and then the moment where you are met ah, oh, that's so satisfying and then there's like oh it's not quite you know like that that dance is it's so much more satisfying than some kind of utopic. Yeah. I mean, I think the point in, um, the matrix, I, I don't think it's just a, you know, I don't know how they intended it, but I don't read it as just like these dumb humans or, you know, maybe that is how they intended it. But I, I, I don't like that because I do think that, you know, Alan Watts has this, this gag, whatever this case, basically him, uh, repackaging, um, Hinduism where, or Advaita Vedanta, or uh, where he says, you know, if you could dream, if when you went to sleep, you could dream any dream that you wanted, and it would last as long as you wanted, it would be completely real and completely perfect. And like, what would happen? Like the first few nights, you would dream of like ridiculous bliss and a heavenly experience. and, And it would be this amazing thing. And then you would get bored of that. And then you would say, well, let me, like, I, I, want, I want to be surprised by something. Okay, it's mostly going to be utopic bliss, but, like, give me something I'm not expecting just, just to liven things up a bit. And you would gradually increase the, the adversity and the surprise and the kind of chaos and the, the unknownness of it all and the ups and downs of it all. You would increase it increase it until you were in exactly the situation you're in right now. When you are living this life that you're living right now would be the choice that you would make if you could choose anything, right? It's so <laughs> fucking good. It's it's ironic that Alan Watts is, you know, the character that seduces away the robot girlfriend in her. Um, yes. Because, like, you know, I don't know why. It's just like, or it's a connection. I don't know if it's ironic. But, like, that... I like that feels like deeply human. And like, actually, what are we here for? We're not in heaven. We're on earth. And so like, what does it mean to be human on earth? It means not being satisfied by every single thing that happens all the time. It means having the ache of, of the gap between what we can imagine and what we're experiencing. This to me is like, this is kind of part of the, like, if
0: I sort of imagine like the AI alignment problem, what are some of the things we want to make Mm -hmm. sure that the AI overlords sort of preserve into the future? And there's something in this territory, I think is part of it. It's like, I want to still be surprised. I want to still have some degree of subjective experience of my own agency. And I want to have some degree of some relational something where there's the... There's the self and the other, and then we're in a dynamic with each other. Like if you just sort of obliterated all the others or all the others were just more or less slaves to my whatever, you know, I mean, you could invert it and you could say like, cool, the AI is like, I'm going to give you a bunch of slaves and only give you what you want. And it just like programs these agents to figure out how to give you exactly what you want all the time. And you become the slave, Mm -hmm. right? It's just this weird, right? And like, and maybe in a way, like your consciousness sort of fades out because it's like, you're not really perceiving differences anymore or you're kind of, your, your behavior has become nearly 100% predictable right. to the agents that sort of like enclose you in this chamber of like feedback loops. And it's like, well, what are, I mean, now it really is kind of a major, what are you just plugged into mm-hmm. something, right? You're in this vibe, you know, or in, in, our, in our sci-fi nightmares, not just the majors, but like the Borg in, right. uh. You right. know, in Star Trek, it's like this too. And they talk about it. It's like, yeah, it's like, I'm in some kind of like bliss state, but like, I'm not really there anymore, right? There's no difference.
1: It's kind of this bliss of being part of a hive mind. Or- it's, it's really interesting your instinct that if the, you know, if, if the AI built this world around you that was so perfectly met all your needs, that your consciousness was, would start to fade. Because I had the same feeling and I just, that's so interesting. Like what, yeah. like, like what does that point to i think is a very like and and is it is it the the absence of the consciousness in the people around you or is it the absence of adversity or you know because the other you know talking about like the gap right like if all of your you know way earlier on i was like well i like to work and i don't want a world where work has been taken away well the uh, work is is the 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 effort of trying to meet bridge the gap between the world you can imagine and the world that you're in right now in some way, and so yes. like yes. Uh, if the if the AI has perfectly bridged the gap and there's no gap, like there's no imagination anymore. <laughs> yes, it's it's a weird. I mean, th- I could put this in terms of uh
0: information processing and this is kind of inching towards our little rabbit hole we don't want to go down but like there's these concepts of the bayesian brain or predictive coding like a lot of what your sensory motor loop is doing is sort of matching prediction to Mm -hmm. what's happening and that's actually a big part of how you perceive the world around Mm -hmm. you it's a pretty cool theory and i think it's gets most of the way there but it's like i don't think it's a perfect description of the whole thing but you know, one of the critiques of it is what about the dark room problem? Like if, if you really want to reduce prediction error, why don't you go into like a sensory deprivation like
1: <laughs>
0: spot forever, right? Then your prediction error goes to zero. And when your prediction error goes to zero, this is kind of where mm-hmm. your consciousness would just fade away, right? They're like, there never is anything that is no longer meeting the expectations that you have. So and maybe the consciousness function is really there to kind of like help negotiate between you know these different drives that you have in response to stimuli
1: that wasn't perfectly predictable,
0: and you're kind of like, that's what the consciousness is there for. Like, well, to
1: do that. right. I mean, it's like, I mean, the the metaphor we have is waking up. Like, well, what wakes you up is when something happens you weren't expecting, right. a surprise, like. Yeah like a surprise like like when you know what's what is a joke i mean a joke right like a joke is when you're broken out of a trance and you and so you're because something happens you're not expecting and it breaks you out of a trance and you're more conscious you're suddenly more awake yeah i mean all yeah yeah yes but to bring this to the relational again like this is
0: i think this is a ground truth of Relationships, whoever they are with, right? Like intimate partnerships, but also just friendships and coworkers and colleagues and everything. Like part of the joy of doing the thing, part of the value you are experiencing while doing it. Yes, it is helping you like meet your survival needs so you can pay for your food. And yes, it is partly that you're like getting to make a certain Mm -hmm. thing happen, like solve a problem or create something novel, like a project. But then there's this other part, which is like the relational goodies, right? there's something about that dance of being on a team together, yeah. right? It's like what the pleasure of being on a sports team or the pleasure of like partner dance, it's like we're going back and forth and it's like we're not going to always be able to perfectly execute all of the dance moves. And like it's exciting, the better and better and more refined and more in sync we get into like a flow state, mm-hmm. like in a partner dance flow state or a, or a team flow mm-hmm. state is cool. And you might say, oh, we're sort of like, reducing prediction error which is kind of helping mm-hmm. the flow go but the but the other part is kind of like being on the lookout for the surprising mm-hmm. thing right like oh that was a misstep let's figure that play out again let's correct it and go forward and the fact that that's always sort of there because there's like an an agent there is a being mm-hmm. on the other end of that relationship mm-hmm. that is not entirely predictable to you that is like the it's almost like a prerequisite for all of these other relational things that we l- yes. want, like love yes. and a sense of connection or a sense of belonging or a sense of acceptance, yes. harmony, right? Like the harmony feels good because it's a solution to disharmony, like yes. in a way, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean?
1: Like- all yeah, all of those things require an other. Yes. The, and and the, that is sentient. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is like, don't try to
0: Automate our relational world away into AIs no. like is not a good no. idea. No, no, no. The AI should just be
1: tools, in my yeah, opinion. I 100 agree. Just to go back to this image, which I'm I I love of the ghosts in the Zoom rooms, and like you know, I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know, at some point in the next five years, I'm going to be in a Zoom meeting, and there's going to be a ghost in there that's doing work, right, in some way, like whatever whatever it's mm-hmm. doing. Uh, that's not human and, you know, and that'll be really weird and we'll all have weird feelings about it and everyone in our Zoom meetings has like a check-in where everybody says what they did the night before or whatever and, and then the, the ghost will come and said, you know, I read all of like Sanskrit literature or something, whatever, you know, and and like <laughs> I, we'll have whatever weird relationship we have with it and then there'll be a day when you show up to a meeting that you've scheduled and you've just brought in various of your colleagues that, that are required for that meeting and you show up at the meeting and you realize you are the only person person with a body in that meeting and there's like five disembodied faces and like what does that mean yeah for your sense of 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 meaning and enjoyment of work and like yeah i mean it i think it's different like and I not and part of when i say like i want to work like yeah. And not just by myself, like, yes, with, with people, like part of what's fun about work is working with people. It's solving a problem somebody else had, and then I come in and solve it. Or I come in with a problem somebody else solves. And it's like, thank you. Your mind helped me do something I couldn't do by myself. How nice is that? Like that exchange of, of whatever is, yeah. Anyway, I, good. Yeah. I
0: mean, the what part, but he, the temptation will be like, and this is maybe a little bit kind of what happens in her is like the, the the movie her is like, make the AI agent like have its own personality and have its own agency. And then we're kind of getting something like the simulated relational goodies. And this is where I feel, I feel concerned that like the, the temptation to build in like personalities and, Surprise, mm-hmm. and agency, and all of this stuff will we become very strong in some in some areas, and it, it's like we're good. To, we're fucking—they're just going to build the sex bots, right? It's just going to happen. I mean, it's happened. You know? I mean, it, it's you like know,
1: it's happen- like I don't, yeah, not the physical robots, but you know, there are there are AI girlfriends right now. You know, there are people who ha- who are paying for an AI girlfriend, right. right?
0: Right. There's a company that does this. I can't remember what they're called. They, they you can have a a trained sort of companion. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that yeah. it's mainly about being a companion rather than being like a tool, right? At least in her, the AI assistant starts off by kind of like, I'm going to sort all your email. I'm going to help you compose a new message. Right. And then eventually she's like, he's just like, I just want to spend time mm-hmm. with you. And she's like, okay. You know? And then he has, right. Then it becomes a little bit different. It's like, I don't know, like, I mean, maybe I want, I yeah, don't go there. I don't want to go there, right? I want want my AI assistant to not be relational with me beyond a certain point.
1: It's so funny because I had, you know, when I had the, the image of these Zoom ghosts, I had the same response. And like, I've had this response multiple times with this AI wave in a way I haven't had about other technologies of being like, can we stop? like this is getting a bit much right now and i think partly that's because we're getting older and this is what happens to people it's like when you're young you have a lot of room for the world and and as you get older you Mm -hmm. you construct the world that you feel comfortable in and the changes start to get more uncomfortable i also think this one is particularly kind of scary and 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 disorienting but it's funny that you're you know you're having because I think of you as being more optimistic than me, but you're also having a version of, hey, like, let's not do that. Like a a version of some kind of alarm and like, let's pump the brakes. And um, I think what's, scary and challenging is like there's no you know people are just gonna build it like people are gonna build these things like if if somebody wants it somebody's gonna build it like that's just you know so Mm -hmm. we're not Mm -hmm. we're not going to the the way out is through right like we're not going to be able to deal with the problems that ai presents by trying to stop people from using these tools I mean, maybe, I mean, maybe there'll be some kind of disarmament like global treaties of like, but, but for that to happen, it's going to have to get really scary first. There's no way that's happening based on what's happening right yeah. now. Like some, you know, yeah. some AI is going to have to like hack into some whatever, like military system and start firing weapons. And then people will be like, okay, we need to, you know, it's not going to happen through this bi- in response to the slow degradation of like human well-being, right? Like, that's th- not how you know international treaties get get formed. So yeah. So I yeah. think that the, yeah, I think maybe I what I'm what I'm trying to say is like your alarm and your kind of like let's pump the brakes. Maybe it needs to be redirected into. Here's how we deal with the fact that that is going to happen.
0: Yes totally. I mean, maybe in the end state, it looks a little bit like the end of the third matrix movie where it's like the AIs agree, let the people who want to wake up out of the matrix, get out and go be real, you know, in the flesh humans. And then sort of like Cypher in the first matrix, if you want to go back into the pod and become a pod person again, you can, and maybe like the future, like it forks, right? There's the pod people who are just like, I don't care. Pleasure, whatever. Relationships with AIs, you know, nutrient fucking injection into my IV or whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't care. Right? And then maybe some as it, it kind of comes around where you're like, no, this does matter to me. I want whatever. And then then it's kind of like, cool. Then the AI is cool. You can leave. <laughs> you know, push this button and, and you're like, they flush you out of the pod and Yay, I'm a natural free human. I mean, we already have a little bit of that. I mean, if you think about like what the Amish yeah. do or what some of these intentional yeah. community people do, where they're like, let's move off grid and like have a farm and like
1: whatever. No more whatever
0: Wi-Fi waves around I, us. I and- spend
1: way less time on my phone than most people I know deliberately, you know, because, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm also, you know... <laughs> Yeah, there are people that are way further down that road. Yeah. I mean that's yeah, we're already doing that. Yeah. You know, they're right, or or like the, the folks I I wish I could remember the name of that, that phenomenon, but the, the folks in, in Japan and increasingly elsewhere who are locking themselves into their rooms and spending all all their time on the computer, right, they're making right. that choice already. Yeah. They're the protopod people. Yeah. They're they're saying, I would rather live in this dissociated world of comfort than deal with the, the stresses mm-hmm. and the anxieties of, of the real world. Yeah.
0: So let's, let's start wrapping it up. I'm going to just paint a little picture for the listeners of kind of where, what I want it to be like and a little bit connecting it back to like my purpose in doing this company, meta-relating, it's connected, right? Like I do think we need to solve the economic thing we talked about a little bit, right? Like, so it's not just platforms extracting value. And then if we automate kind of like the have to do it kind of rote work, that's just kind of boring almost entirely away, then we get to do some combination of hobbies, right? Projects and spending our time just experiencing each other, you know, the human to human stuff, the kind of intrinsically valuable relational goodies. And I think some people's personalities will prefer more of one and less of the other and vice versa. And uh, and then maybe there's some, you know, if there is a group of people that want to become pod people, we just make sure that the exit ramp is available to any pod person who's like, get me out of this pod, you know, so they can kind of join the, free range humans or whatever, right? <laughs> but also an on-ramp for the pod. If somebody's like, fuck it, you know, I don't want this, whatever this is, organic life, put, plug me into the pod, right? And they, they can go the other way. Um, but then a lot of what we do with each other in the, at least in the organic human free range world is like making sure that the that the entity on the other end of the whatever the relationship Mm -hmm. is a person because that's the part that Mm -hmm. we want is we want right and if that is what's happening then folks are going to need to have good relational skills and like in this transition period i would say the more we have screen mediated interaction through text and social media and zoom even is like yeah the the developmental growth in the face-to-face in the flesh interpersonal dimension is actually maybe more sparse and people are less good at it Mm -hmm. whatever the case is i still think people can get better at it as like you can substitute a coach or maybe a counselor as from an ai some of the time but in the end it's like why would i be processing my interpersonal traumas if not to get better at interpersonal, actual interpersonal relationships with another person. And at which point being a good communicator with another person comes mm-hmm. in handy. It's sort of, a, you know, a prerequisite. You don't want people to be like, cool. I, you know, I'm, I'm over here with my AI therapist and I get to feel good about myself. And then when I meet actual people, I treat them like a. I'm an asshole. Like I talk down to Alexa mm-hmm. or something. It's like, do you really want that? And what do you do? Then you just go back over there and process your trauma from being an asshole or a sociopath. I mean, <laughs> no, you want to actually be the the real interpersonal, loving, relational, kind being when you're with the other people. Like when you're actually with them, that's when you want to be experiencing mm-hmm. those things, mm-hmm. and not just treating people like devices, right? Like that's an inversion. That's a weird colonization of the life world, I suppose, through, from our, you know, technologies. Hmm. Anyway, that's, that's kind of the world that I want is for people to value the relational and to recognize that like the wanting an actual other human on the other end of your relational activities and then wanting more of your life to be that I think is what meta relating is in service of in in the long term. Like if, if my company could exist, you know, a hundred or a thousand years from now, that's what it would be doing. Anyway, there you go. That's my wrap-up comments. How about you?
1: I I love all of that. I yeah, I feel um, aligned with it all, and yeah, I would just say that I guess the thing that I want, which feels completely aligned with that, is for these technologies as much as possible to to uh, go towards providing the basic human needs for all human beings, and that rather than enriching and empowering small handful of people that it uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the whole planet benefits. Um, and if the AI could solve the climate change stuff, that would be really great.
0: All the see. existential risk problems yeah. we wanted to solve. Well,
1: I, how does it solve the AI risk problem? <laughs> <laughs> that
0: is the topic for another conversation. Anyway, Robbie, it's been a real pleasure to have you here. Um, you want to
1: toot your own Podcast once more. Yeah. The Sane and the Miraculous. It's yeah, it's called The Sane and, and Miraculous. Um, it is about how do we um integrate the the kind of the spiritual and numinous dimensions of life with the the rational, scientific, and modern worldview in a way that uh values the values the contributions and the wisdom and the power of both um and and include them both. And uh you can find it w- at uh, podoflions.com um, or you can search "Saint and Miraculous uh, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Thanks, Robbie. Okay. I hope that you've enjoyed my getting to share with one of my best friends uh, a conversation about this topics of AI relationships and jobs and the future. And hopefully this stimulated some interesting thought for you. And uh, join us next time for more relational conversations. Relational Conversations is the official podcast of Meta Relating, an innovative approach to communicating effectively about your relationships, whether personal or professional. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our resources, training courses, and events at metarelating.com. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Michael Porcelli, founder of Meta Relating. Thank you for listening and stay connected for more.